you to just come to the party tomorrow. Of course, I'm going to come. And I really need you to want to be there. Yes, I do want to be there. Because it's one thing, me knowing I haven't been enough for you. It's something altogether different that everyone else feels it too. Boy, you, you really believe you haven't been enough for me? No, I think I was enough for you. I'm just not sure you do. Hello, and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined by a guest each week to, to discuss a movie that only got one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined by Owen Daly to discuss Charlotte Rampling's Oscar nomination for 45 years. Owen, good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, excited to talk. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so... Tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie out of all of the movies that there were. What drew you towards this movie, this performance? Um, I think what drew me to it is just, um, first, I'm a fan of Charlotte Rampling. Um, I've seen, I think, a lot of her kind of major work. And then I, I remember um, at the time following the race and being excited that there was the possibility that she'd uh, get her first nomination. And I think what drew me is I'm a fan of her, but also of Andrew Haig, the filmmaker himself. I think he's such an underrated director in terms of modern um, talents. And yeah. that's why I think I kind of wanted to talk about it. Yeah. I don't know if I can offhand name uh, another movie of his, but like I've heard the name around and I know that uh, he's done some good stuff. Like what, what other stuff is, has he directed? Um, so he did Weekend, um, that kind of a uh, gay romance film. I think from a decade ago. Yeah. Um, okay. and then he would have he would have followed this up with Leon Pete, and I think um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think both. Yeah. Yeah, and I think both of those films are also excellent. So for me, he's kind of um, just makes great films, and then even um, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Looking. I don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah, that's another project that he's done, which is quite well. And um, yeah, I just think he's really good. And yeah. 45 Years was just like the kind of perfect, I think it's a second feature. And it's just like the perfect follow-up to Weekend, which is really good as well. Yeah, just from what I've seen in this one, I already really appreciate his style and it makes me want to watch those others even more, even though I've already... <laughs> had those on my watch list. So yeah, let me just break down uh, the basics of this movie. We are talking about 45 years from the year 2015, written and directed by Andrew Haig, based on the short story In Another Country by David Constantine, starring Charlotte Rampling, Tom Courtney, Geraldine James, Dolly Wells, David Sibley, but it's mostly just uh, Rampling and Courtney at the center of this movie. It premiered at the Berlin uh, Film Festival on February 6th, 2015. It opened in the UK on August 28th, 2015. And in uh, the United States, it opened limited on December 23rd of that same year. So uh, let's talk about Charlotte Rampling, who got the Oscar nomination. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so what are your first thoughts on her performance? What is the first thing that really comes to mind when you think about her in this movie? Um, when I think about her in this film, I just think about uh, her face. It's she's it's it's not a terribly loud performance, oh, yeah. and a lot of the greatness is in her facial reactions. The subtle way, whenever the camera catches her, you can see her 
as the film progresses, slightly um, starting to break apart because she's realizing that maybe this long marriage that she's been in has not been what she thought it was. Yeah. And I think it's just so heartbreaking to see. And Charlotte Rampling has always been an actor of reaction for me. And this film just kind of shows her at her best. Yeah, there's a moment that I took note of where uh, she goes to take a bath and it's a close-up of her in the bathtub and just, there's like a split second where her eyebrows like scrunch up just a little bit and like her eyes sort of flit around to something off screen and she just sighs and sinks a little bit lower into the bathtub. And it's just like, just like those little tiny moments, like you were saying, of facial reactions and facial expressions, much more so than like, what you might expect uh, for a movie like this in someone else's hands where you get like a loud confrontation or a big sob scene. No, like all of her best moments in this are very internal, very small like that. And I think that it, yeah, uh, it's a really great performance from her just on that level. Yeah, definitely. And I think another moment that stands out for me in her, how she expresses herself is the scene in the attic as she's watching uh, looking at the photos of, yes. of her husband and like you you can kind of guess what's going to happen but then when the camera is basically just on her face so you are following her journey her emotional journey as she's discovering the kind of horrifying news that um her husband his previous girlfriend was um pregnant yeah. at the time of her death and you just like seeing her is just oh it, it really gets you. And I think that's what's most effective for me about Rampling is because she just, she just really knows that when the camera's on her, she knows that you are really follow it, tracking along with her character's journey. And she just subtly, but also so effectively really lets you know on the journey of her character through her minuscule sometimes expression changes. Yeah, like in that moment you were talking about in the scene where she's looking through the slideshow um, and there is the revelation that Katya had been pregnant. Her only reaction to that is she just goes, oh. And then like she doesn't address it for the rest of the movie. All of her reactions to that moment are in that one little noise that like lasts a split second and just like that. that's so much of what this performance is. It is internalizing everything that she's feeling about this relationship, everything that, like, she has to hold it all in, especially because of the anniversary that's coming up, the 45-year uh, anniversary, uh, as the title would suggest. But yeah, that, that whole scene in the attic where she does eventually have that revelation, I think is really well staged. I do think it's funny that the way that is set up is that every photo that he would have had to have taken of her has her in the extreme right side of the frame. Like, you need that for the visual representation of it. But I just thought that. Was, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, that's that that's a moment in film where you kind of let your uh, mind go. Like, oh yeah, yes, yes. This, yeah. And this makes sense. This, this yeah. totally yeah. happens. Totally happens. Yeah. Um, we should talk about though what the actual conceit of this movie is, uh, for people that might not have seen it. So, uh, uh, Charlotte Rampling plays Kate, I believe her character's name is. Yeah. And Tom Courtney is Jeff. And they've been married for 45 years. Their 45th anniversary is coming up this weekend. They're going to have a party for it to celebrate. And he gets a letter in the mail in the opening scene 
that his previous girlfriend's uh, remains have been found. Uh, she had, we find out later that they had been on a trip in Switzerland. Switzerland or Sweden? Switzerland, right? I think Switzerland, <laughs> I think. Okay. Well, they, they were um, on a trek on this mountain and uh, she fell in a hole and they were unable to find her body. Uh, but this was, it would have been like six or seven years before he met Kate. Uh, and then, he, so he gets this letter and over the course of the next few days that the film takes place over, you can see how that has an effect on their relationship. He opens up about it. Uh, like she knew about Katya. She was aware that this had happened in his life, but she didn't really know a lot of the details of it. And that sort of comes out in these few days. She kind of has to grapple with the fact that he maybe still holds these feelings for her that maybe his initial attraction to Kate was because of her resemblance to Katya, that there are these like things that his previous relationship have affected their entire 45 years together that she was unaware of and now she has to come to terms with. And the movie is just sort of an investigation of that sort of like tugging at the thread of what everything has meant uh, for the both of them. And then it ends with the anniversary party. So we don't get too much of the aftermath of what's happening, but it's just about her sort of learning more and finally sort of figuring out all of these things that have been kept inside for Jeff for he, like over 50 years now of his life. So it's a, it's an, I didn't quite know that that was what the plot of it was going into it. I hadn't seen this before. This was my first time watching it uh, because this was right before I started getting really into the Oscars. Like this was the, a year that I, um, so like I've had sort of a staggered introduction to the Oscars. Like I started watching a few years before this. This was one of the first years that I knew all of the nominees beforehand. Like I really started looking into that. And then it, was, it would be a few years before I started getting really into it the way that I am now. But like this was before I started watching a lot of the nominees beforehand. So this movie passed me by at the time and I just hadn't gotten to it until now but I, I really I really loved it uh, not to get too much into spoilers about how I feel about it but I thought this was a really great movie a really great uh, pair of central performances and yeah I, I just wasn't expecting that to be the plot of it going into it uh, it's a very it kind of took me by surprise that uh, that was what it was about I knew generally that it was about some sort of hitch in their relationship leading up to an anniversary but that was the extent of it uh, yeah it yeah it definitely is it's quite an odd beginning i mean finding out someone and um, they found a body of some 45 years ago is yeah. just it, it, it's a bit wild but i think the film kind of just quickly gets it's kind of it's not necessarily about the kind of oh this body was found 40 now it's found 45 years from now I think it's it's a good, it's kind of funny. I kind of laugh at, as you're explaining it there, that that's like the beginning of this movie because it's so wild and the rest of the film is not necessarily so. It's so quiet and subtle throughout that th- like thinking that that's our beginning. It's like, oh, well, I guess this is obviously from the book. So we have to include it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like something, or sorry, from the source material. It doesn't feel yeah. like something, I would imagine it's not something that Andrew Hayes like, 
how how do I open this movie and will I have a dead body from 45 years ago? Yeah, but it definitely like draws you in right away. Like she's walking down the street with her dog and she gets inside and she's like just talking about the party and he opens a letter and it's in German, I think. Uh, so he has to translate it. But the way he says it is like, they found her and she asks who, who? And he goes, they found Katya, my Katya. And just in that moment, I was like, okay, this is going somewhere very interesting. The way that he specifically says my Katya and the, like the way she reacts to that and the way he reacts to that, uh, just in that small phrasing, I think really draws you in from the get-go before you even know who Katya is to him or where, like how they're finding her body now after presumably more than 45 years. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting way to draw you in. And again, in those moments, Rampling has very subtle moments of reaction. Uh, he says something of like, oh, it's like how they found someone in that like uh, Welsh bog. And she just corrects, uh, corrects him and says, Danish bog. It was on the curriculum <laughs> for years. Like, she, she is still, you know, a, a teacher at heart. She is yeah. a caregiver. And I just thought that was... There's, there's a few really funny moments in this, actually, uh, that really break the levity, especially between the two of them. There's some very sweet moments. Uh, yeah, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of impossible to talk about this movie without mentioning Courtney in line with Rambling or vice versa. And I think that that's a thing that at the time, and even now, six years removed, I just, I, I wish he had also been um, nominated alongside her um, for just how great he is. And also based on how kind of wretched and mediocre the lineup in leading actor was that year. It's just like seeing a performance from him in this, it's just like, did they not like actually nominate to not see any good performances that year because oh, the um, lead actor lineup from 2015 is horrible oh, every yeah. single I, one of them I got into that on my Trumbo episode that I did a few weeks ago <laughs> um, but yeah that is not a very inspired lineup and I, I do agree that Tom Courtney is better than all of those uh, by mm -hmm. a country mile uh, but yeah I ran into that same kind of confusion when I talked about Blue Valentine how um, Michelle Williams got that nomination, but Ryan Gosling didn't, and how hard it is to talk about that movie and talk about one but not the other because so much of that movie is also just a two-hander between the two of them and their relationship, uh, which is very much how I felt writing notes on this one. Like, oh, do I put this note, this particular note, in the section where I have about rambling or about the rest of the movie? And sometimes I would start one in one and realize, oh, no, this goes better in the other section because, like, so much of this movie is the both of them, even if there are several moments where it's just her, several scenes where it's just Kate and not Jeff. But like all of the interesting parts of this movie are when it's the two of them uh, sort of acting off of each other. Yeah, definitely. I think, unfortunately, 45 Years is just like many films of the past decade where there's a great couple at the middle, but it seems to only be the female lead that gets in i mean even looking at amour from yeah, 2012 amour and, john, and john louis trentignon or even away from her where um her yeah. goes, <laughs> it's it's such a thing that happens all the time and i don't get it because 
I feel like you, I, I guess it's, I, I think I kind of get it because unfortunately the male acting categories of the past decade have been so stubbornly to one thing and these kind of complicated emotional male leads in these romantic, well, romantic adjacent films. Yeah. Uh, about just, relationships, not necessarily. Exactly. Romantic. Yeah, I, they're just so, they're just so unlike typical male nominees that that's why they don't get nominated whereas the, their female counterparts are in line with what you'd expect from a female category at least based on what the academy chooses and I think that's why it's kind of it doesn't make sense but I also kind of get it because of the tendencies the, the nominators seem to go towards which is like biopics and yeah and oh. I think a lot of that is just the mindset that voters have of when a movie is like this about a relationship, a very emotional movie about a relationship, I feel like a lot of voters probably write that off as, oh, it's about a woman. It's an emotional relationship movie. They're going to look for the woman and not necessarily look towards what the man is doing in that. And it, it feels weird to be like, justice for the men in these movies about women. But, you know, <laughs> the, the actors are, are they're, they're giving really good performances in all of these um, to maybe a lesser degree, but it feels kind of similar with the wife as well. Another sort of older couple at the center of that where Glenn gets that nomination, but not Jonathan Price, who I think is okay in that movie. I wouldn't say he's worth, <laughs> he's certainly not on the level of uh, Tom Courtney or Jean-Louis Trintignant, but yeah, uh, it's another yeah, I think, kind of time. Yeah, Tom, Tom Courtney such a good actor. I mean, he obviously had been previously nominated like decades ago for uh, Dr. Zhivago and The Dresser yeah. so it's like he's he was obviously beloved at the time and him it was never I feel like it was never a consideration that yeah. he was in the running I feel like sometimes also people try to think of him as supporting which I I mean Rampling is in more of the movie but he's not supporting yeah. it's about the yeah. two of them I wonder if how much of this also got caught up in the there were just too many old Brits this year because you also had uh, Michael Caine in Youth and Ian McKellen in Mr. Holmes, which I remember being moderate contenders. I don't, those movies both fell off towards the end, but I wonder if how much of it was that, was that like Michael Caine and Ian McKellen are more popular actors, more known names, so he might've gotten lost in the mix there. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think what also this movie struggled with at that year, I think I remember is, it came out very late. Oh, yeah. Like, obviously, like it, it had... December 23rd uh, in the US. Exactly. Yeah, like, oh, it obviously had been... That too. Yeah, it obviously had been seen in, like, Berlin in back in February, but the fact that the studio waited so long was just... It, it, it made no sense, but it also made sense because I feel like a small movie like this, they always wait until the last second um, to actually put it up for consideration. Yeah. Uh, I had some more moments written down specifically for her. There was another uh, moment of levity that I liked near the beginning. Uh, one of the first times where they're actually talking about Katya together. And he tells her that they had told everyone that they were married so that they could stay in rooms. And you can tell that she's very clearly getting upset over all of this, that like he's never told her that he was her next of kin and all of this. Uh, but he kind of lightens the mood by saying, uh, like he refers to her as his beautiful new girlfriend uh, at the time. And she just sort of like, like almost blushes and 
like she still she still loves him at least at the very beginning she's still they're a very youthful couple i found uh like the moment the scene where they start dancing together uh, i thought that was very sweet the first one not not at their party that's that's a very different type of dancing together but when they're just dancing in their apartment i thought that was a very sweet moment between the two of them where they sort of fall over laughing Um, yeah I mean, there's many, there's many comedic moments, even from supporting characters that end, that kind of quickly enter into the movie. I mean, I think the scenes with Geraldine James, I think is the one who plays Kate's best friend. I think so, yeah. Um, like them in the car, just kind of laughing at, <laughs> oh, we're having, um, or even the scene where they first go to book the hall and they're like, 45 years, quite an odd um, anniversary celebration to have. And they're like, yeah, yeah almost died on her yeah. 40th. <laughs> uh, there is a part in the car that you were mentioning where the friend says something about how uh, the last time they had all gotten together, her husband started calling her a fascist because she said that she thought Thatcher did a pretty good job of it, all things considered. And then he started <laughs> doing like a Nazi salute in front of all their friends. And Rampling like, tries to stifle a laugh and her friend is like, oh, come on, it's not that funny. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and then they... Fun. Yeah, and then they even go back to that moment later on. It's such a it's such a weird kind of little character thing that I enjoy. That's actually they have time to include even in such a short running time. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very short. It's like an hour thirty five or something. I was. Yeah. Uh, but like, it didn't feel short or slight. Sorry, there's a very loud loud car going by. Yeah, it's like midnight on a Saturday in a college town. So there's been police sirens all up and down. I'm glad they've stopped for now at least, but if they come back, I'll just pause a little bit because this mic picks up noises from out on the street, especially loud cars. <laughs> I think it's gone now. Um, what was I in the middle of saying? I completely lost my train of thought. Um, I think you were talking about her friend and um, Kate. Yeah, I remember that, but I don't remember the... Like, I was in the middle of a sentence and I just totally lost it. Um, oh, well. Oh. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'll just move on to the next thing I was going to say, which was an, another moment that I thought uh, was just funny from Rambling, uh, where it's like a total tonal shift because it's right after the scene where she finds out that Katya had been pregnant and she hears the phone ringing downstairs from the attic and she goes down and picks it up and it's the uh, planner for the party asking what songs uh, she wants to play and She's like holding back tears as she's like listing off the playlist from the top of her head. It's like happy together. And uh, oh, I wrote these down. It's happy together for what it's worth, uh, your precious love and higher and higher. And she like lists these off and all this stuff. And there's like a moment where you can tell the person on the other end of the phone is saying something and she just goes, no, no, Elton John. <laughs> I just love that moment. <laughs> this, this person is planning an anniversary party. All like enough people request Elton John that like they offer it up as like, Hey, do you want to play this Elton John song? I just thought that was really interesting on the uh, screenwriter's part to have that. And then another thing that I found out about that scene when I was reading after the fact is that all of the songs that she lists, uh, which uh, it's implied that they were the songs played at their uh, wedding. They're all from the same year. They're all from 1967, which you can uh, sort of infer from that are is must've been the year they got married except like their song the first song they danced to which is smoke it's in your eyes 
is from 1958, which would have been when Jeff was still with Katya. Mm -hmm. So, like, think about that for a second. The song that he picked to be the first song that he dances to at their wedding is the one non-contemporary song for their wedding, and it would have been when he was with Katya. Just, like, that really blew my mind to think about as... I don't know if that was intentional, but it sounds like it was if the others are all from the same year. Yeah, I think... um that scene when she does answer the phone, it makes, it really sets the film in a real world. Like I, like obviously the film's set over the week before their anniversary. And I feel like every moment that's happening is something that could realistically happen in life. It doesn't feel necessarily, oh, it's only happening because it's a movie. It feels like we are actually, it almost feels like a documentary watching these two characters um, and the lead up to their anniversary. And I think, um, I hadn't thought about the song choice. That's such a kind of interesting thought to have that that song yeah. could have possibly been his song with Katia that he just rubber stamped to his next relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I do want to talk about that a little bit. I know we're jumping all over the place and this isn't really rambling talk, but we'll talk about it now because I mentioned it. Um, there's a really interesting article from earlier this year by Hannah Benson called The Smoke Gets in Your Eyes Cinematic Universe, just about the sort of use of that song in different movies over the years uh, in stuff like Roberta and The Bitter Tears of Pepper Von Kant and American Graffiti and Always and Tea with Mussolini and Lingua Franca uh, from a few years ago by Isabel Sandoval, which I really loved. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good song and it's used really interestingly in this movie. Uh, and that's a really good article. Go check it out if you haven't uh, read that. Uh, it's it's a really interesting look at how this one song is used in a bunch of different movies over the years. Yeah, I think the song is used so effectively in the final moments of the movie, and it really kind of lets you pay attention to the lyrics. And I think from what I gather from the choice of the song is that it also is like calling to attention how kind of I guess Rampling's character had smoke in her in her eyes and how blind she was to yeah. everything because how, of how in love she was. Yeah, and how now she's that's sort of gone away and she's sort of seen this relationship for what it is, which you really get in those last few seconds where the song and like this is the song they're dancing to again. They pick it again as the first song they dance to at this anniversary party. And they're dancing together to it. And the rest of the guests eventually start dancing around them. Jeff gets all sort of playful with his dancing. He's sort of flowing all about. And she's very rigid and she like fights back against it. She doesn't, she clearly is not having a good time. uh, Even after the very emotional speech that he gives. And the song ends and he lifts his arm. Like he lifts their arms up together and she drops hers immediately. She's like not happy to be here. Not happy to be the the center of attention and all this. Uh, and he sort of like turns away and goes to mingle with other guests and the camera just sort of slowly zooms in on her and she just has these looks of just like doubt and just total disillusionment with the entire past 45 years of their relationship and it ends on that. I think it's a really interesting note to end on that we don't get more of the fallout. We don't really see how long, how much longer they stay together, if they stay together, if they don't. But she, I think she really sells all of that in that last moment, that very uncertain look of what do I do now? I think like you get all of that just in that one look. Yeah, absolutely. 
I like when I wasn't remembering every little thing about this movie, the ending has always been in my mind, rubber stamped. It's I remember 2015, there was a couple of movies with really great endings and this was one of them. It's such like a shock to the system. You you are like, as the song's progressing, you, whenever the camera catches her in the spin, you just see her breaking apart and obviously him not noticing because he's both performing the song, but he's also performing for the guests. And I think that's the, the emotional speech comes off as that for me. And I think... Tom and everyone who's in that well Tom and I think the director are trying to get across in that scene is the realism of him actually being emotional but how performative it comes off because when you when you when you find rambling in that scene she's in herself she's not like emotionally reacting for the audience she's just taking it and being like I mean good for you man for being emotional but um you we you have to realize the the mistakes we've you've made and the fights we've just recently had, and um, but going back to that ending, oh, it's the camera just finding her, is it's the main example of how effective Rampling is as a silent performer. It's just you see it leaves you in a place where you're certain that she will leave him, but also that maybe she won't because it's been the majority of her life in this relationship and how, how does she move on from this? Yeah. Yeah. What do you do after, uh, after all of that? And especially because you get the sense very much that this has been overall a very good relationship for the two of them. And it's just been these past few days that she's had to reckon with all of that and been able to look back and see Katya in all of their 45 years together. And, like, it's not that she's been suffering under the weight of their relationship for all this time. She's been very content in this relationship and very happy with it. And having to deal with that all at once and not gradually over time, it, like, that's another part of the whole silence to her performance is that she doesn't know what to do. And she doesn't know how to process all of this. And that it's just all coming at her all at once. There's a, a scene where uh, she wakes up and Jeff has left a note saying that he's going into the town for the day. And so she goes into the town and the first thing she does, she goes to a travel agency to see if he's been there. And she asks, uh, has my husband been in here? And the woman at the desk says, uh, was he asking about Switzerland? And she just sort of walks out of the travel agency and stands in the street for a few seconds and like, stares off into the mid distance doesn't like she's not crying she's not screaming like you might get from another uh lesser performance she's just frozen in almost disbelief almost shock but also like confirmation of her like worst suspicions and it's just like there's no way to describe it because there's no way for her to describe it she doesn't know what she's feeling so we get that in uh, just the most base level of shutting down. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you you kind of relate to it as a human being in how not many people can get away with such emotionally loud outbursts. It's the kind of quiet realizations thinking into yourself. I think a lesser movie would probably include her inner like monologue, like narration to kind of make you understand what she's going through. 
but I think the film is much more effective for not including such a thing is because of Rampling and how both the years that she's been in the industry and the character she's played, it kind of works in the best of ways that you are very familiar with her as a performer. And then it makes you a bit more familiar with her character's journey. And I think a moment like that is just so great and just experience her, her realizations and how there's nothing she can do. I mean, sure she could leave him, but what would she have? You know, she's, I'd say she's probably in retirement because I think she's in her seventies. Yeah. Like I believe like she had been a teacher. We get that in the first few scenes. Like she runs into one of her students while she's out on her walk with her dog. But like, you don't see her at any point have any relation to school. She says that I had had that on the curriculum for all these years. You imagine that she's probably retired uh, or else that would have come up at some point in the uh, few days that we see. Um, And it's also very like, it's very much a point in this movie that they never had kids together, her and Jeff, that they've had a few dogs, but that's the extent of raising another uh, being in their house together. It's pretty much just been the two of them, which is made all the more uh, relevant when we find out that Katya had been pregnant when she died. And just, that's the thing that when she finds that out, she confronts him and says that I've been seeing her in everything over the past few days. I've been seeing her in our music tastes, uh, the dog that we picked, all this stuff. And the bigger things too, the bigger things that I, uh, what does she say? Um, I'd like to be able to tell you everything I'm thinking and everything I know, but I can't. Like, she knows that Katya was pregnant and she wants to confront him about it, about how she realizes that's why he never wanted to have kids with her. And, but she can't because how do you, how do you even begin to have that conversation without destroying everything around you? Like that's, that's a load bearing question that if she asked it would ruin everything and she knows it. And so she has to keep it inside and she can't tell anyone else because if you tell someone that makes that a public thing, because that's not a thing that someone else is going to keep inside either. So yeah, it just has to suffer through it. Yeah, it also makes it a real thing because obviously only her and Jeff know about Katya at this point. Like obviously I'm sure his friends of many, many years know of Katya, but I'm sure they're not thinking of her constantly as he apparently is. So her admitting to someone is admitting that Katya exists and that she's affected her marriage. And I don't think she's willing even with her close friends, to even want to broach the topic because it's also the week leading up to their anniversary when everyone yeah. is like concentrated on their marriage and not the relationships that either of them had previous to it. Oh, yeah. It, I think it's a really interesting... It's really interesting that that's how it's constructed, that those two are running parallel, that like the culmination of their relationship to this point and also the thing that we realize has been silently moving it in very specific directions over all this time that like she has been affecting their every decision he makes over the past 50 years and no one knows it except for him i just that's a really it's a really interesting way to construct this story and i thought that was very compelling i know i had something else that i was about to, oh i this is what i was going to say earlier uh, but i got sidetracked Um, When we were talking about how good she is 
the silent moments. I think she is one, like, I, this question has come up in some other conversations before, but of what modern actors do you think would have excelled the best in the silent era? Like, if you were to transport them back into that era, who would have been, like, the ones that we remember? I think she is a really good example. She would have been a really good, like, Gloria Swanson type sort of... Uh, I, I, like, I, I don't remember who else gets brought up, but I don't see her name brought up often when those conversations are had. But I think she would be really fascinating in a movie like that. Or something like The Artist, if you were to uh, make a more dramatic uh, modern silent movie. I think she could really really sell that style yeah rambling has always been a excellent performer of as i said before reactions even in her younger years decades before it's always been silent she's always been silent and stoic and whether she's breaking your heart or just intimidating you down to the ground she really understands that the camera is there to catch her expressions yeah or uh, when she's doing whatever she's doing in Zardoz. Huh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not one of her best films. Yeah, she's funny. Isn't it? that's, that's a fun movie. It's not Yeah. Good, it's fun. No. Um, <laughs> and she's, again, she's good in that for everything that that character is. Uh, but yeah, no, she's, she's always been great. And I'm glad that, you know, she got this level of recognition finally after all these years of being one of our greatest actresses just in general. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Do you have anything more specific you want to say about her or uh, are you ready to move on to the rest of the movie, namely (laughs) Tom Courtney? Yeah, um, I think I don't have anything kind of to say at the moment, but I'm sure as we continue talking about the rest of the movie, I'll find something to praise about her work in it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, hard to talk about one without the other. So uh, we are not done talking about her in the slightest. A letter. Yes, I know. But from? It's in German. Yeah. What's it say? Well, I can't remember the verbs as well as the nouns. But, but I think it says they found her. And who? Uh, her body, anyway. God, who? Jeff? They found Katya. Oh. Y- you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Of course. I-, I remember telling you, clear as day. Of course I remember. I mean, it was a long time ago. Yeah, I know I told you about my Katya. She's been there. Over 50 years. Like something in the freezer. Now they found her. So, uh, let's move on to the rest of the movie. Uh, do you have a particular aspect you want to bring up first? I wonder what we're going to talk about first. <laughs> um, sure, let's just go to Tom Courtney. Um, yeah. he, he, oh, he's, he's just doing it completely differently. He's obviously the more expressive one. He's the more he does have his subtle moments where he doesn't want to answer any of the questions. It's very much an investigative movie the whole week. You have Kate constantly asking him questions, whether they're in bed together, whether they're at their kitchen table and him just laughing it off or changing the subject. And I think what's most great about Courtney is how his 
kind of more open performance allows her kind of subtle investigative one to complement each other. I think you, you have to have him be his kind of joyous self to have her be her slowly breaking down um, as she is throughout the film. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is summed up in a quote from the friend, which I think this is what I was going to say when I got distracted by the car. I just remembered it. Uh, but she talks about how uh, Jeff is going to cry at the party because men always cry at anniversaries because men generally tend to not think about the emotional weight that these events, these milestones are going to have until we reach them. And then in the moment, we get hit by all that emotion all at once and sort of break down from that. Whereas women tend to always have that importance uh, in mind, always bear in mind the weight that a, a moment like this is going to have. So when it gets to that milestone, they sort of, you know, what am I trying to say here? What does she say? There's a way she phrases it that I thought was really fascinating. Uh, did I write that down or did I just tell myself I would remember? <laughs> um, is it kind of like saying, I, I can't remember it, um, that the women have kind of been emotional throughout and that they've kind of reached a point where they're not, they're in control of their emotions and, um, but yeah. still also feeling the same as the men. The men are just so wound up and never finding time to actually let their emotions go that realizing, oh, I actually am so happy right now. They get overcome with emotions. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, which I think we get in that last scene where the whole speech that he's giving, the whole uh, anniversary speech where he's talking about the relationship and about everything that he's sort of gone through over these years uh the whole time you're like he's going to cry when is it going to hit and it's not until the very end and he starts like sniffling a little he doesn't break down fully bawling but like you hear in his voice it, it jumps up to that higher register and he like starts trembling a little bit and like oh yeah he's crying he's getting to that moment uh and then at the end again when they're dancing and he's all excited and everything that's also that he's feeling all these emotions now that he's sort of been prolonging until it gets to the time. Whereas she, you know, is just sort of down that whole scene because, I mean, for good reason. She has uh, every reason in the world to be uh, sort of detached at that culmination. But yeah, you, you really get that from him, that he is sort of nearing this milestone and as such letting these emotions out that he hasn't necessarily always been addressing to her or to himself yeah i think what what i kind of mentioned earlier was he's having an emotional reaction but to me it's kind of played in a way where you're not sure whether this is where he's actually really being emotional or if he's just playing it for the crowd because he's maybe realized that oh and um, the conversation i had the day before with my wife maybe we are not where i thought we were because he's just so oblivious to his actions. I mean, yeah. the fact that he doesn't realize straight away that by mentioning Katya, how it's affecting his wife throughout the week, he just, yeah. <laughs> and not just by mentioning her, but by like saying all of these things and like, like mentioning the ring that she had been wearing when they find her, which that's an interesting thing that I noted uh, 
that she's been frozen into ice all this time. Uh, and so they make a very specific mention that her body has been preserved because it froze, it would have frozen too quickly for there to be any decomposition or anything. So she's basically frozen in time in 1962, uh, the way that she would have looked then. And he's like, Oh, she, she, that she would look exactly as she did then. Well, I look like I look now like old Tom Courtney. And just that like, that's exactly how she is in his mind too. She is still this like idealized, perfect first love of his. Uh, and that he would say something like that and not realize how that would affect Kate. That like, we have a very literal c- cementing of her as she was in the past that he can look to, that he can like visualize her as this frozen in time, literally vision of his past. And he just says it outright, says it right to her over the breakfast table like it's nothing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact that she constantly is finding him in the attic and she she knows from the beginning what, exactly what he's doing. I think like this is the first scene where she's where she's wanting him to show her the picture of Katya. And then a later scene where she's only just putting her hand up towards the attic because she can feel the kind of air in the room that there is someone up there yeah and that that's... like just yeah yeah <laughs> oh boy yeah um but that's also a line that she has when uh she's calling up to him while he's in the attic she wakes up in the night and he's not in bed and she can hear him up there so she goes to confront him and she's like what are you doing up there because she knows what he's doing but she's still gonna ask and he says oh i, I just i found it and she says you didn't find it you went looking for it uh <laughs> That's such a good line. Yeah. Like, at this point now, he's actively searching out these mementos of his past that he has been, that he's kept literally locked up for all these years up in the attic. And now he's become re-obsessed now that, like, the bandages have been ripped off the wounds. Now that's all he can think about is Katya. Uh, There's the point where uh, Kate says something like, Uh, Katya died in 1962 which is the same year that my mother died and it's interesting that we've never talked about it all these years together that we were both privately grieving over someone that we loved uh, and we didn't even know each other Uh, yeah like oh that's so such a such such, like when you're when you're saying these lines back it's so good like you don't like obviously you don't you don't think of the writing well you think you can think of the writing of the film but it's not necessarily the big element that you go towards but even having been hearing you and for the last while just speaking lines for the movie they're just so great you know and that's what i think i love about Haig. yeah every plot point clicks together perfectly like everything connects to something else everything has a counterpoint and i think it's just it's a really tightly written screenplay i think every beat works along the way uh towards the eventual conclusion and you're right we don't really think about this as a screenplay movie necessarily but and i don't remember oh this is a weird adapted screenplay year yeah because i talked about this when i talked about trombo about how it's so it's the big short wins which oh boy uh that's far and away the worst of these nominees uh, but then you also get Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, and Room, which like those are those are fine. There's some really good ones in there. There's some okay ones in there, but 
yeah, there's so, there's yeah, there's some that be my choices, but also others that definitely wouldn't. Yeah, and the big I short think... is definitely not one. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched that again for the Trumbo episode, and it is bad. It's just a bad movie. I, oh, I, just... I can't, I can't imagine rewatching those Adam McKay movies. Yeah, like Vice as well. Vice, I, I don't hate it as much as I hate the Big Short. Vice has like a couple moments that I, I'll give it props for. I guess not props. Like I don't, I don't love Vice by any means. Yeah. But like, I feel like there's at least more to that than there is to the Big Short. I think the Big Short is just an empty movie uh, that thinks it has a lot to say and really doesn't. But so yeah, I would easily take away that nomination for this one. Uh, not to get too much into Oscar talk, but like, yeah, no, this is a really good screenplay and it would have been a really good place to give it another nomination. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting case because it didn't get all that much attention for the screenplay either, even outside of the Oscars. Like even at the critics, they didn't really go for the screenplay all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think it would be something like an Away From Her, which while it did receive the Judy Christie nomination, also got a screenplay nomination for Sarah Polly. Yeah. It's it's kind of, it's a similar situation, even a more got a screenplay. Obviously Blue Valentine is in the similar boat too. Yeah. 45 years. Like I just think about all these relationship movies kind of together yeah. because they just have such similar um, outings with the Academy. Yeah. The wife, another uh, lone nominee for Glenn, which Yes. I cannot wait to talk about the wife on this podcast because there is so, so much to get into there. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we will never stop talking about the 2018 um, Academy Award season in so many ways. It's <laughs> Honestly, I think the fact that the wife, that Glenn loses for the wife, has cemented that movie's legacy so much more than if she had won. Yeah, it it's unfortunately it's so fitting with yeah. the movie that yeah. she doesn't win. Oh, it's um but it'll I be think, interesting to talk about when yeah. someone eventually chooses to want to. Yeah. If she had won for that, like we would still talk about it to some degree, but I feel like that would have the movie itself would have faded away. Kind of like how Judy is only two years it's only two years out from its Oscar win, but no one ever talks about Judy. I'm not going to talk about Judy. In fact, we're not going to talk about Judy at all. We're going to keep her out of it. Uh, but I feel like like the fact that people talk so much about the wife now would not be the case if she had won for that, which is yeah, not what you would expect. That's kind of counterintuitive. But I think that the loss really cemented the legacy of being just a very interesting curiosity in yeah. history. Yeah, I mean it. Look at look at still Alice. I mean, that's a movie that I that I really love. Oh yeah, I yeah. I, I, I think that's something you'll get to talk about it at some point. I get to talk about it. It's a rare. <laughs> um, I really love that movie. Outside of Julianne Moore, there's so many good parts of that movie, but I feel like because she won for that, and people see it as a Oscar bait film, that they don't actually appreciate how great it is and how um there's so many great elements beside Julianne Moore to that movie, and I kind of hate how that. I, I almost wish Julia Moore didn't win. Oh, no, I would never say that. I, I'm yeah. glad she has a win. I mean, she I'd, give, definitely her, I'd give her multiple wins elsewhere in her career anyway. Uh, but yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that film's, unfortunately, its place has not 
stood where I think it should because it's a wonderful movie. And maybe if it hadn't won, it would have a kind of similar situation to The Wife where it's a more appreciated movie. Yeah, although if she hadn't won then, I don't think she would have won anything in the past few years after that. I mean, she hasn't been nominated again. Yeah, Um, I mean, who's to say, I feel like her career would be slightly different yeah. Um, had she not won, that's always the case with actors when they win. I think of a Nicole Kidman. Had she not won for the hours, the following years would be so different for her. Yeah, she because she would have taken birth and bewitched and the step. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not that those are on the same level in her career by any means. Like, yeah. She would have not necessarily maybe have taken those more daring choices. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see. Julianne, if she doesn't win in 2014, going for it again more rather than all the Cronenberg and Hunger Games that she does. Uh, yeah, although the Cronenberg, oh, I love her in that. I haven't um, seen it, but I kind of want to, if just for her. I mean, she she's the re. I mean, who? What other movie has Julianne Moore sitting on a toilet, um, talking to me Wasikowska or her? making fun of Anne Hathaway. And um, I think there's a line, she, how would she work for that movie? And there's just, that, that's it. That's another great movie for me. Obviously, Julia Moore, uh, well, obviously we're not here to talk about Julia Moore, but I mean, uh, you brought it up. I brought it up. So I'm going to go on a tangent. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she has, she's done great uh, movies since Still Alice. Um, yeah. Something like Maggie's Plan. I, if you ever see that, that's really good. Um, or even Gloria Bell. She's really good in that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I mean, maybe if she hadn't won for Still Alice, she would have been nominated for Gloria Bell. You never Honestly, know. I'd take it, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, she's really good in that. Back to 45 Years, though. Uh, one, like, we mentioned this earlier, but I think it is really, it's a really smart choice to not have any actual confrontation between the two of them. That there's no big scene of where she yells at him or where he breaks down and cries and reveals everything or where they sort of have a heart to heart that ends with the two of them like embracing and everything. And she says, it's all going to be okay. But it's very much left off on almost a cliffhanger of what's going to happen to the two of them. Like they are at this late point in their age, in their lives that like, what do you do at this point? Do you just ride it out? Do you have this talk? Do you get a divorce in your 60s and 70s? Like, you don't have, like, they don't have kids to worry about. So that's not a factor for them to consider. But what do you consider at that point? What do you, what do you do? I think is a really, it's a really interesting point that that is what the movie has to say. Is that like, that like our, our past, no matter how far, in the past it is like at this point more than half a century away it's still just as relevant today and it's going to affect everything whether you acknowledge it consciously or if it's just like a subconscious alteration in what music you like and what dog you want to get uh or if you want to have children or not like yeah i was not expecting to come away from the movie with that being the message but it's a really powerful message and it's, yeah. it's done really well. Yeah, it definitely leaves you in a place where you can imagine what even the next day would be like. 
I almost wonder, would she just return to her kind of silent um, anguish and never, never approach him about it because clearly he's not willing to admit to anything or even answer any of her questions. Or you can imagine the next day where she's over him and yeah. just She decides. no longer has this party coming up to hold it together for. She's just ready to live the rest of her life and not exactly. have, to have this weighing on her the way that it's been weighing on him. Yeah, I, I do wonder. And I think it's really, like, it's a very good choice to not show that, to leave that all out in the open. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like um, in, in talking about the ending, um, we obviously talked about the ending for Rampling, but just in mentioning it for Tom Courtney, you don't get the effective emotional ending without him during the whole anniversary party being this fun kind of um, husband that, oh, they everyone loves seeing them together. And then obviously the emotional the speech that he gives, which I've mentioned, feels very performative to me. And I feel like Courtney, whether in collaboration with Andrew Haig, is really trying to get across that you're not sure how what this speech is about like it's when you think of when you actually listen to the words of the speech it's very kind of he doesn't he mentions Kate but it's never like this outpouring of love it's mainly like um this is my wife we were married and we're still married it doesn't feel like necessarily what what I feel like Kate if she really felt like he was in love with her would want for their 45th anniversary speech yeah, it feels like it's a speech that could be given at any uh, given anniversary or any given wedding or anything. Like, it doesn't feel specific to their relationship, even given yeah, the fact that they have a very unorthodox relationship, as we've seen. Like, it's a very uh, simple speech. And yeah, you wonder how much of that is painted by the fact that he has been over the past week uh, confronted by the woman that maybe he still uh, holds more of a candle for. Yeah, I wonder what the, the movie, I, I almost wonder if the movie had been twice as long and we gotten then the same time period, but from his point of view, like like obviously with, I think Blue Valentine kind of has a bit of that where yeah, the you back see, scene. yeah, like I wonder if maybe the film opened with and a half an hour of his point of view of the week and then ended with hers or like something like a disappearance of Eleanor Rigby where you have the two movies one from him and one from hers I wonder would we kind of feel conflicted about him were we to get his kind of inner thoughts during this time period yeah and I feel like even with the movie that we get you're still a little bit conflicted about him because like you also have to think about it from the perspective of this man lost like his first love is like a very important person to him, but that doesn't negate the the idea that he can still love again. Uh, and that he has very clearly devoted 45 years to Kate and like loved her very much and loved this relationship with her very much. But like, you can't ask him to not still have feelings for this person in his past, but you also can't ask him to, you know, stop uh, or no, I totally lost my train of thought there. But like both points are valid if difficult to navigate. Like 
At what point is it obsession or just reminiscence? At what point does the nostalgia take over? There's not concise answers to that in real life or in the world of this movie. And I don't have an answer either. I don't have anything more <laughs> to add to that. But like the movie definitely hits you over the head with those questions. Not not hits you over the head and like it's very blunt about it, but like it definitely forces you to think about those perspectives from both sides, even with what we Yeah. Do. Yeah. Like I definitely feel like the film isn't throwing his character in the bus. Like I feel like they're really giving you a fully realized picture of this relationship and how there are both two fully formed people in this relationship and how um, you, he's allowed to feel what he feels, even though we obviously mostly through um, Kate's point of view are seeing how it's really affecting her. But we also have to realize that this news has just come upon him and it's not easy to just move on from such a nostalgic point that is your first love, as you said. I guess definitely it's really giving you a full mental picture of these people are allowed to feel what they feel because it's only a, it's only a week, you know, had it been like maybe months and he was still thinking about it, you could question it. But the fact that it's so recent, the news of his first relationship, it really kind of gives you a full picture and allows you to kind of think more about it. And I, I like that about the film is that you're constantly thinking about everything. Yeah. There's just so much there to uh, digest. Yeah. And uh, not just was she uh, his first love, but she, eventually Kate asks him, I know that you were, you told everyone that you were married and she had this fake wooden ring, but if she hadn't died, would you have married her? Were you planning on it? And he kind of deflects the question of like, well, she did die and I did marry you. So it, I, there's no point in asking that. I thought you didn't like theoreticals but she asks again and she keeps pushing and he says, yeah, no, I would have. Like, it's not even a, I might have, I don't know where things would have gone. Like, he is very clearly of the mind that yes, they would have gotten married had she not died. And like, that's really painful to hear for her, but it's also incredibly painful for him to say of like, I lost a woman that I was ready to get married to. And, oh boy, it is, <laughs> yeah, oh, I, again, I don't have much, I don't have anything to say to that, uh, but it is emotional. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, it's mainly, mostly quietly emotional. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's really, there are a lot of emotional moments there, but they're not as you'd kind of expect from um, other movies, which go much louder in people expressing their emotions and events like this happening. Like, I wonder how a different filmmaker a more kind of I think I think I can't remember is Andrew Haig American but I feel like a more kind of um a more mainstream director I think I'm thinking of had they made the same movie I feel like you had you'd have constant scenes of them screaming at each other and maybe maybe it would have been effective but it's certainly not it, it could have been a different it would have been a much different movie and I think that this film kind of works really well is because everything is so emote everything's so quiet and it's very realistic yeah. like you you understand these people you could imagine these people being living near you yeah and again with movies uh that take a similar concept but do feature a lot of screaming and crying 
and movies that throw the husband character under the bus. You have the wife, for an example. <laughs> it is uh. like I was surprised how many times in this I was comparing it to the wife, and like positively on the behalf of this movie, uh, in terms of like, oh, I can see where a movie would have done something like this differently, and then realizing, oh, that movie I'm thinking of is the wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not to get too much into the wife because I will be doing that episode again. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll find a Glenn Close fan too who wants I'm to. I'm sure I will find uh, several people on film Twitter very happy to talk about the wife in one way or another, pro or con. Yes. <laughs> I I could just make that a hundredth episode and just have everyone come on to just sort of air their grievances about the wife. <laughs> Just drop like a little five minute message and you just constantly playing throughout them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to say about uh, the the meat of this movie, the everything that's not rambling before we get into um, the Yeah, I'd say let's get into the Oscars. I think I, we've said mainly everything that there is to say. We've definitely picked the movie apart. I mean, we're nearly running for the majority of the screen time of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> This will probably go longer than the actual movie does. Here are the nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role. Kate Blanchett, Carol. Brie Larson, Brie. Jennifer Lawrence, Joy. Charlotte Rampling, 45 years. Sersha Roman, Brooklyn. So, let us talk about 45 years at the Oscars. So, uh, going down just the basic precursors, interestingly, this movie didn't get uh, any Golden Globe or SAG nominations, which it makes sense based on how small this movie was and what type of movie they usually go for. Uh, And this is also a year, we'll get into it, but this was a very interesting year for Best Actress with multiple category frauds going in different uh, fields. And SAG was weird. They went three for five with two movies that like no one had seen. Uh, But even more interesting than Rampling missing at both of those is that Charlotte Rampling didn't get a BAFTA nomination. I don't know how that. Yeah. I don't. I like. I. I remember it so well. The whole season, her constantly not showing up, but always being confident that she would get the Oscar nomination, because there's always that one. It's it's the passion for the performance, and the whole season there was obviously the passion for it, and you only need so many voters to vote for a perfor- for a person or thing in a category that I was. Like, I feel like these five, the eventual five women nominated, I was always confident that that would be our five, whether the film showed strength or weaknesses throughout the season. It was kind of very obvious that Charlotte would receive the nomination. And while I would have enjoyed her showing up throughout, I just always knew that it would happen for her because she both had the raves, but also she had, um, I think it was Sony Pictures Classics was the distributor of the movie. And so. they'd obviously... They'd obviously the year before just won with Julianne Moore. Like they knew what they were doing. And then yeah. the year later, I think they 
accomplish the same thing with Isabelle Huppert, where mm-hmm. you knew she was going to get nominated because the studio was really trying to get her in. And uh, correct me if I'm mistaken, but they, didn't they have the father this past year as well? Was I, th- that- I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah, they know how to run a campaign even with opening movies really late, like Still Alice, like this, like The Father. They yeah. know what they're doing. Have Sony Pictures. <laughs> um, yeah. But the only BAFTA nomination this got was in their Best British Film category, uh, which it lost to Brooklyn. A lot of these uh, prizes that it gets nominated for, especially British prizes, it ends up losing to Brooklyn. Uh, but the BAFTA Best Actress lineup Brie Larson won, uh, and then uh, Saoirse for Brooklyn and Kate Blanchett for Carol also got in, carrying over from their Oscar nominations. Alicia Vikander got in for a lead performance in The Danish Girl. And then their fifth was Maggie Smith for The Lady in the Van. Oh. <laughs> which I guess if you're going to go for one uh, British acting legend, I guess Maggie Smith is who they went with over Charlotte Rampling. Uh, Interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, but the, like the one big like precursor that we acknowledge as a major precursor that did vote for her uh, was Critics' Choice. She got in. Uh, it's, this lineup is it's the five Oscar nominees and also Charlize Theron for Mad Max Fury Road, which is cool. She would have been mm-hmm. a good nomination. Uh, that's a good... They don't go for those movies and those performances all that often, but like something like Sigourney Weaver and Aliens as uh, the best like prerequisite yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, you would almost you would almost hope that Charities could have gotten in for something like that versus what she eventually got her third nomination for in Bombshell. Uh, oh Bombshell. Oh bombshell. <laughs> thankfully a film you don't have to talk about. Yeah. A, a movie that not only because it got two acting nominations, but that is an Academy Award winning film. Oh my god film. <laughs> I forgot. I don't know why I'd forget, but oh my god, you're so right. I, I forget it all the time too. Like when I'm going through what one makeup, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, bombshell. Yeah. Oh, we sure let that happen. Um, we did. <laughs> uh, so when we... this movie played at Berlin, uh, Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney won the acting prizes at the festival. They uh, paired up there, which was the right thing to do because. If you're voting for one, you vote for the other. They're, they work very much hand in hand. And it was also nominated for the Golden Bear. I think it lost to Taxi? Yeah. By, uh, 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 Jafar by, Panahi, is that how it's pronounced? I, I, think, that's that's how, I think that's it, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't seen that. I know it's supposed to be very good. Uh, so that is an understandable win there. It got multiple nominations at the British Independent Film Awards. Uh, but no wins. It was nominated for Best Independent Film, Best Director. It lost both of those to Ex Machina. Uh, Tom Courtney was nominated for Best Actor. He lost to Tom Hardy for Legend, uh, the movie where he oh. brothers. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Charlotte Rampling was nominated for Best Actress. Again, loses to Saoirse for Brooklyn. Uh, was nominated for Best Screenplay and for Producer of the Year, which is, I don't know quite what that prize means. Uh, and I didn't write down what it lost to. But interesting uh, little addendum there. And then, yeah, it's, a, it's understandable the losses to Saoirse Ronan. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the nominated uh, performances. And yeah, but it's understandable why she'd lose to. It's just a great performance. Yeah. 
the London Critics Circle, Courtney and Rampling both win the acting prizes. It also wins for British or Irish Film of the Year and nominated for Best Film, uh, Best Director. And Rampling is nominated for Best British or Irish Actress for this and uh, The Forbidden Room, Guy Madden's The Forbidden Room, which she loses there again to Saoirse for Brooklyn and Lost River. Oh, God. That Charlotte Rampling won Best Actress, like, of the year, Best Actress in a movie this year, but lost Best British or Irish Actress to Saoirse. Like, she's the best actress, but not the best British actress. Of course, yeah. Sure, yeah. that's why they included the Irish. You, 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 you cannot not award the Irish actress, apparently. Yeah. The National Society of Film Critics, Charlotte Rampling won there, and Courtney was nominated, but he lost to Michael B. Jordan for Creed, another movie from this year that I will eventually be talking about uh, for this another, film yeah. nomination. He would have made another um, actor, lead actor uh, contender that would have made a much more exciting choice than the eventual field. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that on the Trumbo episode when we were... T- Ooh! Oh, that's the thing we need to talk about. Uh, do you remember Charlotte Rampling's uh, maybe not yep. the best interview that she did this year? Uh-huh. Unfortunately, yes. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's do a little... Because it would be bad to not mention. So this was the second year running of Oscars So White. And on the day of nomination announcements she went on some french uh, radio show uh, to give an interview and someone asked her about it and she made not the most sensitive remarks about uh, diversity and inclusion and the pull quote that a lot of people went with was that she said that it was racist to whites which yeah yeah and she like apologized and clarified later that same day and said that she hadn't, she wasn't aware of what everyone was actually saying in this time. And she wasn't aware of the implications of the question, but it's, it's still not the most, uh, it's not the best uh, interview. And yeah, I feel like a lot of people have a much more negative opinion of her since then. Yeah. Um, I feel like if if there were any, obviously she was she would never win just because it was so clear who was going to win that year. But like after that, it was thank you for the nomination and let's move on. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, general rule of thumb: if the if if it's an older performer, especially one that has spent a lot of their time in France, maybe don't ask them about political issues. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, didn't Mike? I think Michael Caine also this season was asked about it and made not necessarily the same comment, but similar yeah. related comments. It was something along the lines of like, be patient, I had to wait my turn too, which, oh boy, Michael Caine. Oh boy. Wait his, wait his turn. He had been nominated like for the past four decades. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. This, is the fir- this is the first decade since the 60s that like he didn't get nominated. So he didn't get to break the record of most con- uh, consecutive decades nominated. So yeah. waiting yeah. his turn, sh- sure, Michael Caine, sure, you waited your turn. Yeah, and uh, I was I refreshed my memory of this whole thing uh, this morning. And one of the pull quotes was from Jeffrey Wright, uh, who said, he, he tweeted something of like, Michael Caine and Charlotte Rampling, 
think that they have gotten their Oscar nominations purely on the basis of merit, which says everything that needs to be said. Like, yeah, because they see it as they they don't have that uh, bias weighing on them that they have to consider. They're just like, oh yeah, this is all about merit. They don't understand because uh, they don't have that perspective. Yeah. Fun conversations on this podcast. We we like to Those. have fun here. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was all because we mentioned Creed. Uh, I just have <laughs> a few other things I wrote down here. Uh, Los Angeles film critics, Charlotte Rampling wins there. So she, she had won a couple uh, critics prizes in the lead up, even if she didn't get uh, the main precursor nominations. And then... Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't. She almost won the the trifecta, the uh, Los Angeles National Society. She just didn't win New York, I guess. Yeah. I um, don't remember who did win this year. I'm actually going to look that up. I think it was Saoirse. That would make sense. I feel like she... Because I, would... I remember she won for Lady Bird then two years later. Yeah. I think she was their choice, which is a great performance rewarded. But I'm, I guess it's kind of... We've had, like, as of recent, so many kind of trifectas of the main critics and prizes that Charlotte didn't win for that. Yeah, Saoirse, you're right. Saoirse won and you're... Uh, it made the National Board of Review Top 10 Independent Features list. Uh, and then, like I wrote down, it got some uh, European Film Awards. Uh, Charlotte Rampling won. Tom Courtney and the Screenplay were nominated. And then the IndieWire Critics Poll Rampling won their Best Actress and Tom Courtney came in fifth place in Best Actor. And it got like some other regional critic stuff, uh, some smaller awards, but those are like the main ones that I wrote down as far as wins and nominations. Uh, so it's a, it's a good haul, mostly on the critical side of things, uh, more so than actual industry awards. But like you said, she had a lot of that passion uh, behind her, which you tend to get a lot in these very internal performances. I remember, like you were saying, just knowing that she was going to get in uh, is how I felt with uh, Yelitsa Aparicio for Roma uh, when she mm-hmm. was missing out on all of those. And everyone was like, oh, it's going to be Emily Blunt for Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, like, I had my Best Actress lineup locked in October uh, and I ended up getting five for five. Like, I don't think I made yeah. a single change after October of that year. That Like, it's going to be these five. And then it was. Which, again, that includes the wife in that lineup. We're just going to keep circling back to it um, <laughs> until I eventually do that episode. But yeah, no, uh, I feel like that was a very similar... Oh, I mean, it wasn't similar in every way because Roma was, you know, best picture frontrunner, best director winner, ended up with several nominations and 45 years obviously didn't because we're talking about it here. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think it, it's kind of similar, as you said, in that while she didn't show necessarily anywhere, you were confident that because every time uh, Caron would win a prize, he'd mention the two women yeah. and in his speeches and how he couldn't do without them. And you just knew that there was enough passion for the movie that it only takes a few voters to put someone number one for them to eventually get in. And then obviously we had the two women get in. Yeah, um, Marina de Tavera. Uh, yeah. I actually don't think I've ever heard or I don't remember how her last name is pronounced. I uh, think it's Marina de Tavira. That I think de Tavira. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. That's I why I remember. I've written from the so time. many times that I don't actually remember 
it's been there's been two oscars since then i don't quite remember <laughs> there's been two oscars and it's been 84 years since then oh yeah i am um just on a roll with mispronouncing these foreign names this episode this is <laughs> but yeah like i still kick myself because there was one month where i had my predictions and i had marina de Tavira in like my sixth place slot in supporting actress and then by the end of the year i had her removed entirely and i was so close to uh, being on the right wavelength there that's a do i get to talk about anything in that lineup um, I don't, I don't in so. supporting actress. No, I think no. Well, Regina would be the closest. I think, yeah. which obviously that yeah, film got into other places. Screenplay and score, at the very least, it might have just been those three. But I think those those three, yeah, yeah. That's a shame, but I don't get. Yeah, I can't remember. Actually. I can't even remember who the person everyone thought would get in, except for Marina. There were there were a few hovering around that last place spot, kind of like this past year with supporting actor. How no one really knew who the fifth was, and it ended up being someone no one was guessing. But it was like Claire Foy in First Man was getting a lot of buzz. Um, Margot oh, yeah. Robbie in Mary Queen of Scots got the SAG nomination. which And the BAFTA as well. Yeah, and the BAFTA. Um, uh, there was also like Thomas and Mackenzie in Leave No Trace was getting critics' love. And yes, because they, yeah, oh, yeah, they put her, they put in, her in supporting. In yeah, um, Michelle Yeoh in Crazy Rich Asians was someone I remember a lot of people saying. Uh, yeah. I think I, ha- and there was someone else. Oh, uh, Nicole Kidman in Beautiful Boy. I remember being an early buzz <laughs> that I kept on yeah. that long list uh, until the very end for whatever reason. But I think I was still predicting Claire Foy. Uh, First Man is, I, that's a weird, that's a weird Oscar presence is First Man. I mean, for for you know, Damien Chazelle is um, not my favorite. So um, yeah. for him not to be as adored as he was two years prior is nothing bad for me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I didn't love First Man. I I always forget that that movie exists. Though it's like it was such a thing early on of like it's Chazelle's follow up. It's Gosling playing a real life tortured man. It's Claire Foy after everyone loved her on The Crown. It's this like fascinating moment in american history they love space movies and yeah. then and you you also had the rematch of him and barry jenkins with uh, beale street which similarly didn't show up as one would expect and myself would have hoped yeah and then i i really do wonder how much of that first man buzz got killed by the american flag controversy oh yeah Remember when that was the thing, when everyone was up in arms about the fact that they weren't going to show the American flag being planted on the moon? God, if only they were to know two years later, um, I feel like two or three years later, after uh, the events of the past year and a half, I think they would be like, it would not be as much a thing as it was at the time. Clearly, they're reaching for straws. You never know with uh, where the discourse goes with what people decide to get angry about. Do we want to talk about the best actress lineup here? After every tangent imaginable, I guess. Uh, Also, we are just two minutes away from officially recording longer than the movie is. It'll probably be shorter than that in the edit, but like (laughs) just a little peek inside from those at home. We are, we have almost been talking about this longer than the actual movie. And yeah, currently in the movie, Smoke It's In Your Eyes are playing, and just in time for us to talk about Best Actress. Yeah. 
perfect uh, perfect lineup there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, very very good lineup. Um, like I struggle all the time whether I go towards Charlotte Rambling or Kate Blanchett. It's yeah. they're both so extraordinary for such. I mean, both give quiet performances, but a different variation where you have Charlotte Rambling playing all her emotions to her chest, whereas Kate Blanchett is playing a lot of emotions to her chest, but also is quietly falling in love with the Therese character. And I think what um, leads me more towards Charlotte Rampling is that I agree with the Academy two years prior with Kate Blanchett's win. So I necessarily don't feel like she needs the win for this, even though she's marvelous and it's a performance forever. Yeah, I agree with every point you just said. I think uh, Kate Blanchett is really marvelous in that movie uh and i think rooney mara is as well in a lead performance uh yes (laughs) a very good uh nominee here if they had you know gone with their minds instead of their what they were seeing on for your consideration ad um yeah it's it's a tough call between the two of them i think maybe i would prefer uh blanchett just a little bit but like they're they're very neck and neck with like what they're doing uh, and how much I appreciate what they're doing and what it says to the movie that they're a part of. That was kind of mumbo jumbo, but I hope I hope what I'm trying to say is gets across that like I think they're both really effective in their movies, and uh, I would have a hard time voting between either of them or Sersha as well, who I think is also very good in Brooklyn. Yeah, Saoirse's excellent in Brooklyn and it's the film that kind of turned the trajectory of her career around now that she's entered the adult phase of her career. And it's such a good nomination because you've never, like obviously she got nominated when she was 13 years old for Atonement and like you never know where she to return. And obviously now in retrospect, she's received three nominations in the course of five years. Um, since Brooklyn so it, it's such a good nomination and I, I remember I think it premiered at Sundance that, that year and once the reviews came out I was very excited that there was the possibility I was very confident that year that she was going to get in and just following the year being constantly being like yes she's going to get nominated again I'm so excited she's the new Jodie Foster or whatever and yeah. going from child to adult star I think those are maybe still the only two uh, performers to get nominations uh, as child actors and then also as adults. I don't think anyone else has repeated that. No, Anna, Anna Paquin sadly has not um, come back. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that'll happen again because they, like, they kind of don't really go for child actors all that much anymore anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, just look at, look at this year. I mean, Jacob Tremblay wasn't nominated. Yeah. yeah, and he would have been also much better than any of the uh, lead actor nominations we got. Yeah, had they had they actually, and um, they really made the wrong choice in where they campaigned him. Because um, yeah. he, I feel like based on how well the room did, he would have made an easy nominee. Yeah, uh, and before we move on to room, uh, I just want to point out that it's very very interesting and funny that at this point in her career Saoirse Ronan was almost having like a a comeback to the Oscars narrative 
and she is the age that I am now. <laughs> like, I yeah. can't imagine where I am in my life being like, oh, I'm about to have my second Oscar nomination. Like, that's good for her. Very good for her for having the career that she's having. And if, like, the prompt has come up a few times of, like, what actors or filmmakers would you be willing to bet money are going to win an Oscar in the 2020s? She's one of the names at the very top for me. Like, I don't see how she gives another decade of performances as strong as she's been giving now and as acclaimed as she's been giving now without that eventually translating for her. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful um, that it happens. Um, the, like, with something like Atonement la- two year, last year wasn't necessarily the greatest um, uh, of outings Am- for Saoirse Ronan. Ammonite. Oh, sorry, what? Oh, yeah. did I say Atonement? Sorry, yeah, Ammonite. Okay. Oh, my God. They're, um, they're, they're, they start with an A and end with a T. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, or even uh, something like the year of Mary Queen of Scots where she also had The Seagull. And on Chesil Peach, which were, um, she, but she bounced back the year after with Little Women. I'm yeah. confident that she'll return. I'm happy to see her. I think she's doing a film with Sam Rockwell, which is like the kind of cop comedy. And yeah. I appreciate, yeah, I can't remember the name of it. I, I remember seeing photos of her as like a cop. And like, well, she's doing comedy, which is good because yeah. her comedic skills as a person should be used in film more. Yeah, she's really funny. And I'm excited at the very, like, I don't know how big of a role she has in it, but I'm excited to see her back with Wes Anderson in uh, French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I know of what other uh, upcoming releases she has other than that and now the one that you mentioned with Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Well, I know she's she's currently doing uh, Macbeth on uh, uh, the West End. That makes sense. So she, um, I'm sorry, I, yeah, no, there doesn't seem to be anything, like, major in her, um, I think she's doing a film with Palm Mescal, um, one of the next ones, by the director of Lion, so that should be, that should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's got, uh, Oscar under his belt, or at least Oscar nominations, you never know, you never know. (laughs) I'm very interested to see what her eventual Oscar uh, will be for. If it'll be something like uh, like Black Swan, uh, where it's something interesting and representative of Natalie Portman's career, or something more like, I can't think of a good example, but, but, or if it is something more that like we look back and it's sort of, that's what she won her Oscar for? I, yeah, I, wonder, I, I wonder what it'll be for. I hope it's the former, but it might end up being the latter. Yeah, me too. I mean, the fact that, like, looking at all four of her nominations beside one another, it's hard for me to criticize any of those performances. Oh, yeah. And I just have this fear. I mean, it's a fear, but, like, who really cares that her name will be associated with something like The Reader? Oh, that's that's actually the perfect example for the second of what I was trying to say of Kate Winslet, great up-and-coming actress, great Oscar nominations, wins for the reader. That's actually the perfect example of what I don't want to happen to Saoirse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, please no. Before we get into the winner, I haven't seen Joy. I will be watching Joy eventually for this podcast. Uh, that's another movie that I am sure will make for a very interesting conversation about Jennifer Lawrence, about David O. Russell, about everything surrounding that movie. 
I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, yeah, there's, I remember, because like this was, I think this was like the fifth year that I'd been closely following the award season. And I remember the like t- early test screenings of Joy and people praising the film. And it, it's, it's a good film. And she's, she's really great, you know. It's, I feel like she gets slightly underrated just because she's such a well-known star persona versus this supposedly great actor. But she has so many good moments in that movie. I think there's that moment from the trailer where a lot of people think she's forgetting her lines. <laughs> and the thing, they're like, oh, at all. <laughs> um, Ever threaten me or my family ever again or something like that yeah i know exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> but i think that's that's a really effective moment and obviously this is her most recent nomination yeah and i'm i'm hopeful that she is a, a performer who can make a comeback if a comeback is like the appropriate word to yeah, use it hasn't even been it's like been barely a decade that she's been a name and she's already having a comeback uh, although like Aside from the X-Men movies, like the most recent ones of those, I don't know if I can think of a movie she's done since Red Sparrow. Yeah, I mean, I like, know that she, she, she obviously has um, the has Adam McKay come, movie yeah, she's got the Adam later this year. Soon. Yeah, There's, and then I think she's done a film with this like new director. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. If Red, White, and Blue, Red, I think, White is Water. what? Water, it's, that's it. The A24 movie. I think she's playing a veteran. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't think that's still coming out this year, as far as I know. I haven't heard no. anything about it in a while, so I would not be surprised if that comes out next year. And then she yeah. had another few that were announced. There was the, uh, the Elizabeth Watson Theranos movie she was going to do. Was yeah, there was also the Watson? Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes? Yeah. The, like... The like businesswoman with the yeah. made voice. Elizabeth Watson. Is that anyone? I'm just thinking of Emily Watson or yeah. Emma Watson. <laughs> yeah, uh, Elizabeth Watson doesn't appear to be anyone of note. I don't know where. <laughs> um, yeah, the Elizabeth uh, Holmes uh, Theranos movie that I think Adam McKay was attached to. I don't know if that's yeah. Who, who I know there's the series about her happening. Yeah. With, I think Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, but as far as I remember, I thought those were going to be like concurrent projects in the way that sometimes you get like however many Tiger King movies and miniseries we're supposed to be getting. Or know. the Aretha Franklin biopics from this past yeah. year. Um, and then she had another one that was announced a while ago that I want to say is a Paolo Sorrentino movie. Yes. Girl. Yeah, I remember that. A novel, but I... <laughs> Yeah, that was like announced in July of 2019 that that was going to happen. Uh, and I don't know if there's been any updates to that since. So I don't know the uh, level of production on that, if that's yeah. still going forward or if it just sort of got abandoned. Uh, yeah. I mean, we do have a movie of hers definitely coming out this year. So yeah. she Although, will be back. There was, a, like, uh, there was a, a scene released today that looks interesting. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't expect it to be any good. You know, yeah. I like based on my opinions of Adam McKay movies of recent, but I'm. It will be seen. You know, it, yeah, it has it like two of the biggest. The yeah, <laughs> it has like all of the biggest. It has Jennifer Lawrence and Leo DiCaprio. 
and Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill and Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry and Timothy Chalamet and Rob Morgan and Matthew Perry. Ariana Grande. <laughs> Ariana Grande. And so many more people. Why, why are they all in this movie that doesn't look good? It has Mark Rylance as well in like weird, like fake teeth, whatever look that's supposed to be. Very uncanny mm-hmm. valley on him in the yeah. movies that were released. Yeah. But, but Joy. Um, <laughs> yeah, Joy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure when you eventually see the movie, you'll have thoughts. It, it's, not, it's not the greatest, but she's really good in it. Yeah. And so let's move from one Joy to the other uh, with uh, Brie Larson in Room, also nominated for playing a character named Joy, which also, <laughs> in that same year, is Inside Out, which is also about a lead character named Joy. Weird little trifecta there. Yeah. <laughs> feature. But yeah, Brie Larson in Room. I haven't seen this movie since it was in theaters. I remember really liking it. I remember really liking her in it. I, I, I really like Jacob Tremblay. I think he's really the standout that if you were going to give someone the Oscar for that, it uh, should have gone to him, probably. But Yeah, I, I think, think, I think Brie, Larson's, Brie Larson's really good. I think I was happy at the time that this happened, simply because two years prior when she made Short Turn 12 and that film went nowhere, I was happy to see her so quickly. I remember the film premiering and it was, it didn't seem like this kind of earth shattering thing that she was eventually going to win. It just kind of happened and there was no stopping it. And yeah. she won like and, I mean, every precursor. She did. And it was, it was an odd win just because it was so unexpected. And Brie Larson, at least at that time, did not seem like the actor who would, on their first nomination, would win everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know if she's made, if she's even, like, had any flirtations with Oscar since then. Like, she was in Just Mercy, but that didn't go anywhere. She was in... Yeah, she had The Glass, uh, the Glass Castle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I read that book for high school, and it's a good book. It's a good uh, memoir of... Uh, it's, I remember it being interesting. Uh, but yeah. yeah, no one saw that movie. No, I mean, unfortunately, her career has been taken over the past five years by her um, Marvel films. Unfortunately, yeah. um, she's been captured. <laughs> it happens to the best of them. And Jeremy it does. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's it's a good win. I don't know if I would necessarily vote for her over any of the others I've seen. I think maybe like. It's still a really good performance. I, I'm not uh, knocking it in any way. I just don't know if I would necessarily vote for her over any of Rampling or Blanchett or Ronan. Uh, yeah, she'd definitely be a firm number four for me. Yeah, and it's and a solid it's, number four. It's a very good number four. Number oh, absolutely. Four. Yeah. Like, this is a really good lineup, you know? Like, it's, it's not my perfect lineup, but it's really good. Yeah, and um, I mean the tra- the trio that is Saoirse Ronan, Kate Blanchett, and Charlotte Rampling, any year would be lucky to have just one of them, and the fact that all three of them are there is what makes it so strong. Yeah, and then meanwhile, over in Best Actor, <laughs> I mean I I mean I've already dedicated however many uh, minutes on mic to this lineup specifically in my Trumbo episode, but oh boy, is this just like especially compared to that best actress lineup 
is it just a lackluster, depressing field of uninspired picks? And like, like I don't dislike Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs. I think he's okay. I think Matt Damon is fun in The Martian, even if it's not necessarily Oscar caliber acting. I think he uh, livens that movie up in a way that I appreciate. But, oh, those other three. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is the second worst uh, lineup ever assembled. And I've seen um, basically every single male lead actor nominee. Oh, no, that's what the worst is. I think the worst is, I think, 1928 slash 29. Oh, so like the second ones? Yeah. <laughs> like this this is uh just it's it's horrible. I mean I'm not the biggest fan of Steve Jobs. Yeah. Like he's fine. And then I think my my, my pick is Matt Damon simply because he's the only he's I like him, he's fine. Yeah. And at, at least in this category, fine is good enough. It's, 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 it's better than Eddie Redmayne and whatever thing he's just he's ever decided to do in his career that is i'm if there's anything i'm thankful for the past five years is that he has not been back in the conversation because having to constantly see his work is not a thing i enjoy i'm not a fan of his type of acting where he if i'm to impersonate it obviously this is a podcast but what everyone knows the kind of look down and then look up and that is all his performances are very, or he has very, hunched over shoulders standing at a table he's like a um hunchback basically yeah it's always the same and the danish girl is just the worst example of it where he's not performing like he's first of all he's not appropriate casting because he's yeah. mainly performing the role of being trans versus being trans and then acting on top of that yeah but even outside of like how awful that casting is it's also just a bad performance it's just like glossy and gross and he doesn't understand the character in any way and i just i don't like it it's a bad nomination on moral grounds and on grounds of judging the performance yeah i mean i many times i'm like i wish michael keaton had won but I'm glad that Michael Keaton sometimes didn't win because I feel like if he did win, this would be Eddie Redmayne's win and I would not be okay with that. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, no, it's... We live in the marginally better timeline as far as that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, and then the two others, um, obviously you've, you've had a full podcast about Trumbo. I am not a fan of that. Um, I love Brian Cranston, everything he's done in terms of Breaking Bad and Malcolm in the Middle. But something about him in films just does not work for me. Yeah, um, it, people don't know how to use him in movies. They really don't play to his strengths in no. using casting. Yeah, like even in something like All the Way, which is the adaptation of the Lyndon B. Johnson play oh, yeah. for TV. Um, he's, he's, he goes for it. it doesn't, it's not what I'm looking for when I look at for leading male performances and I feel like he goes he tries in every role that he's in but there's always just something off that really just makes me wonder was Breaking Bad and Malcolm in the Little a fluke is Brian no. Cranston actually a talented actor or what? I think he's talented I think just people 
directors and casting directors in the years since Breaking Bad have kind of just wanted to put him in anything to cash in on the Breaking Bad love. And it, that really goes against like what his actual strengths are as a performer. And they're just sort of putting him in things for the sake of having him. I think one thing, like the one movie I can think of that's used him in a really interesting, good way is actually Isle of Dogs, where he voices the main character, uh, the main dog. Yeah. Like, I'd like to see him do more voice acting. I think he's a really talented voice actor. Uh, and yeah. I'd like to see him do more cartoons. More yeah, cartoons. like he's like he's obviously a talented actor. I probably was uh, being a bit hyperbolic. It's definitely <laughs> easy to get disheartened on him if you're just looking at his film career, at stuff like Last Flag Flying and Power Rangers. Oh God, he is in Power Rangers. Yeah. Oh geez. Um. Yeah. He's. It's. It's not a great nominee. And then I guess the last one, the winner, uh, DiCaprio. I am not a fan of In Your Right In Your E Two in any way. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that uh, general consensus is going to get on your side very quick. Because have you seen the news for his latest film? I. I, I remember the news hearing about it before the actual like bigger news this past week and yeah. being like jesus <laughs> yeah he is uh being sued or maybe is about to be sued uh because he went against covid protocols on the latest film he shot and it resulted in the death of multiple crew members yeah so, uh <laughs> sorry to all you inyari two fans out there i have a feeling he is maybe not going to be uh the best remembered director of recent years. Yeah, and I mean, The Revenant is, The Revenant is, for me, not an example of a great movie. It's so horrible. I mean, DiCaprio is, like, he's he's not like, he's not Tom Hardy terrible in the same movie, but he's not great. And I, like the fact that there was this whole campaign of, oh, it's his time. It's his time. It's he has been nominated so many times. You, you never hear the same thing. Like Glenn Close, like sure it was her time, but it was not on the same scale as, yeah. oh, if we don't give DiCaprio a prize here, the world will never be the same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he doesn't win here, he probably ends up winning for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Like, I... At that I mean, point, you imagine they probably would have voted for him over Phoenix. Like, DiCaprio has more of the narrative there. And it also won for Brad Pitt anyway. Like, Yeah, I mean, that would I mean have been maybe. That would have been a much better win than his win for The Revenant. I think he's pretty fun in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, he's, he's definitely much better in The Revenant. I feel like The Revenant is more so praised for the making of it. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is another example of in your to maybe not being the most responsible of filmmakers you know yeah. he's he's always had this thinking he's better like i because i've seen ambitious. every single one of his movies he's so ambitious yeah and obviously you can't be as ambitious with during a period like covid and he's yeah. going to quickly realize that through his i think multiple lawsuits yeah i have a feeling this is gonna break his streak because so far every one of his movies has been uh, nominated for at least one Oscar. I think mm-hmm. uh, this next one is probably going to break the street. It's also got another stupid title, like 
Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. What is a it? Limbo, I think? Uh, no, it's the title changed. Oh, uh, did it? It is called... It's another long one like that. Uh-huh. Uh, let me pull it up. What is the full... Uh, Bardo or False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. I I missed that change. And yeah, I could... A recent change, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, I would say his name would go down in kind of infamy, but there are plenty of directors whose name are infamous and yet continue to make films. Uh, you make a good point. You make a very good point. Yeah, I think, I'm, I mean, I talked about this a lot on the Trumbo episode, but I think the so far in advanceness of the inevitability of Leo winning this year is probably why you get more of an uninspired field. Like, most of the time when you have someone who that far in advance is more or less a lock just based on the project and the performance and where they're at in their career, uh, the narrative becomes not, uh, could they win for this, but could they get a nomination? So that's why you get these lackluster performances that are never going to win uh, nominated because, I mean, you got to fill up the category somehow, which is why something like Tom Courtney gets snubbed because yeah. uh, they're not looking for actual nuance. They're just looking to fill up the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to mention as far as the Oscars? There's not really, like, a, you wouldn't see this in, like, a production design or anything like that. I don't know if it has mm-hmm. an original score or if it's just borrowed pieces. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, um, like, for what I think it deserved. I mean, there are categories where I think it deserved to be um, versus obviously just screenplay. Um, I think Tom Courtney was much more deserving, as we've said. Um, I would would nominate Andrew Hagen, director. Um, My director lineup is is much different, much more different than the actual list that year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we can can move into that last little segment there. I mean, you already... Uh, listed yours but yeah uh, closing thoughts on uh, 45 years and the I mean that's a solid set of nominations to give it I'd certainly give it uh, Tom Courtney I'd certainly give it adapted screenplay especially compared to some of the nominations we actually got and I don't have in front of me my actual favorites of this year but I'd I'd wager this is this would solidly make a top 10 yeah this is this is my um, second favorite movie of 2015 behind Carol yeah, that, I mean, that's a, a solid first place, if there ever was one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, to, like, final thoughts, I, I love 45 Years. I was so happy to see it on the list and be like, maybe, maybe I'll talk about this one. Um, yeah. And hopeful, hopefully people, if they haven't seen it, check it out because it's a film deserving of your attention. It's, as I always love to praise, it's a not a long movie. You know, it's only ni- like 90 minutes, basically, Yeah. of just so much story packed into such a small, short uh, running time, but it never feels overstuffed with anything. And I think people really should check it out. And I'm glad that it got this nomination because it means that it will always have its place in history. And that's what's always my favorite thing about the Oscars when they nominate multiple films, whether they're good or bad, is that it will always give people an excuse to watch them because it has this nomination. 
yeah. attached to it. Yeah, and that's part of why I am so excited to go on this project that I've been doing. Because I've only seen a handful of the actual uh, movies I get to talk about. I've seen a very small amount proportionate to how many there are. And I'm very excited to be able to uh, discover all of these movies that I've never seen. Some big ones that I'm kind of surprised I've never seen. And some small ones that I otherwise might not have ever seen. Uh, (laughs) And that's kind of what is so fun about Oscar history is that it kind of canonizes these movies for better or worse. Like no one will forget something like, what's a, I'm trying to think of the, like the right sweet spot of like good, but forgotten that's on this list. And now Um, I'm coming up. Do you get to talk about, I think you get to talk about uh, last summer from 1969. I do. That's a perfect example of like, uh, it gets talked about now because it is canonized by the Oscars, but also you get movies like I am Sam, which will forever be Oscar nominated, even if that's not necessarily most uh, worthy of being in this canon. Uh, so it's, I mean, you get to talk about that movie and how it's a joke in Tropic Thunder. Seven. I years also later. get to talk about Tropic Thunder. You do. <laughs> yeah, that's an episode that I. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like, what do you talk about as like, man, Ben Stiller is really Oscar worthy in Tropic Thunder. Like, <laughs> it'll be a, an interesting conversation, but I, I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a fun project. And I'm glad that you picked 45 years because I don't know when I would have gotten to this movie. I knew that it was very good. I knew that people liked it and I would have watched it eventually, but... I'm glad I had an excuse to watch it today. Uh, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I really thoroughly appreciated it. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I, I know it's not necessarily as popular today as something like Carol or even Room in the same lineup, but go give it a watch. It'll, uh, I, I won't say it'll brighten your day, but it'll definitely make you think uh, for an afternoon. And I think with that, that'll be our episode. Uh, where can people find you? What, do you have any social media you want to plug? Yeah, so um, thank you for having me on. And yeah, um, people... absolutely. Thank you for being on the podcast. I keep forgetting to thank my guests uh, when I get into <laughs> Yes, thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciated you taking the time to do this. No worries. Um, I guess on social media, you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's at my name, uh, Owen Daily. So it's E-O-I-N-D-A-I-L-Y. And, and you can also find my letterbox link there where I am constantly posting um, just films that I'm watching. And I have many, many lists of what I consider best for given years. And also maybe my um, Academy Award choice. If you're interested in where I'd nominate 45 years, I do have a list on 2015 there. So yeah, I looked through that a little bit uh, when you first picked this out uh, like a month ago. It's a very interesting lineup. Uh, some really great picks in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be all for this episode. Thank you for listening.
Smoke gets 